repeat what Brother Brent said um, about Bible school. Um, there have been several, several times in my ministry with you over, over 16 years that I've been extremely proud of our church. And Bible school is one of those. And in particular, this week, I was so, we had like huge numbers of kids. I mean, like lots of kids. And like just an incredibly large, loving, compassionate staff. And you need to be very, very proud that you're part of the Dorsville family. You've been very proud of the staff that worked in BBS this week. They were awesome. And, okay, let's give God a round of applause, but let's thank our workers. It really was. I stood at the, uh, the, the counter there at the kitchen thing and told the kitchen staff, you know, I said, this is just incredible the way these folks have worked this week and loved on kids. It was really, really just an incredible week. So thank you for serving, and uh, thank you for letting us be a part of the Dorisville family. All right, so this is the last message, and this is such a privilege today on this particular day uh, when Jean and I celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary to share with you some thoughts from God's Word about marriage, about marriage. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 to start with, and then we're jumping to Matthew chapter 19, okay? That's where we're going today, and we want to talk about marriage and the permanence of it, what, 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 how God defines marriage, really several good topics about it, considering the culture that we're living in. And once again, I'll tell you this, if there ever is a time when we need to believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, it is a day like today, because in the culture we live in, they've just kind of rewritten and redefined things that are very precious to many of us in, in the heart of God, certainly, and, and according to you know, contrary to his word. So I really pray that as we've studied the, the word over the last several weeks, I really hope and pray that we have taken to heart the fact that this book has proven itself. It's not a book of mythology. It's not a book of legends. It, in fact, is a book, the Word of God, uh, written by 40 authors, 66 books, over 1,500 years. It's proven itself over and over and over again. And once again, just don't believe just don't believe often what you hear from society. Well, that just that's just a book. No, no, friend. It's much more than that. I'll tell you this in about two weeks, but I'm going to tell you again. Um, I hooked into another PBS special, and I can't even remember the name of this one. And they told how the earth came about again. And guys, I'm telling you, I told you this about a month ago. I'll tell you again in two weeks. If you sit down and watch one of these nature specials about how the earth was formed, I am telling you, listen to me, it takes a lot more faith to believe what they're selling than what the Word of God says. I'm just telling you the truth. And they're sitting there going, well, we think and we believe. And the last one talked about the reason the earth exists the way it does today is there were six lucky breaks. There were six lucky breaks, and they explained what these six lucky breaks were. I'm going, really? Are you serious? And so I'm glad that there is a God. I'm glad he's alive and well. And I believe his book. And I'm glad his, his book is something that we can trust and rely on today. So, amen. Amen. And you know, it's really cool. I love it when preachers can stand up and say stuff like that and not have to generate it. I mean, I, it's the truth. It really is just the truth. Well, here we are. So, Gene and I, about 2.15 this afternoon, Central Time, uh, tied our lives together in Valdosta, Georgia, on a good, hot southern, uh, southern Georgia morning. 
And uh, it's about as hot as it's going to be today with no air conditioning in the fellowship hall. The cake, like, melted, you know, that kind of a thing. And But we tied our lives together. And I am just literally amazed as we stand here 40 years later and all that God has done and accomplished. And I need to say a couple of things that you expect a guy in my position to say. Uh, like, one, I married up. I know I did. Um, Judy's just a better person than me. She really is. And I mean that. She just really is a better person than me. And, uh, you know, I think she's into this journey for 40 years because she's just a better person. And uh, I will tell you, honest, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to say cool things. I'm just telling you this. I stand here today, 40 years later, because of God's grace. I really do. By all, you know, a guy like me, I, y'all know I love food, you know. I have, have a weird thing with an appetite. I just love to eat. And my, my bent my nature would be, you know, this, this consuming thing. And God, by his amazing grace, has held me in his hand for 40 long years and kept me faithful to her and, uh, and kept me hooked up with her. It's just God's amazing grace. You say, you know, you get asked questions. How do you, have y'all, have you made it 40 years because that's so uncommon? Dude, it's like my salvation. I am saved today because Jesus did it all. All I did was repent of my sin and turn toward Jesus, and he's done the rest. And the reason I'm still married in 40 years is because Jesus did it. It's just him. It's just him. So if you want to know the secret to a long marriage, just, just it's grace and it's Jesus. It really is. But God's Word's got so much to say about this topic. And it's so timely. It's so timely. So what we're going to do is we're going to start out looking at Matthew 7 where Jesus talks about what you might think is an unrelated topic, but it's certainly not. And then we're going to Matthew 19 where Jesus talks about the definition of marriage and the permanence of marriage and what to do with this thing called divorce. And with that last word, divorce, is the reason why I want to start with Matthew chapter 7. Because you and I both know this. The, um, the church, and I don't know people, Let's just forget the church. People have a real tendency to be judgmental. People have a real tendency to be judgmental. And I wish I could tell you it's not true that way in the church, but the bottom line is, in some ways, the church can be the most judgmental of people. And when we start getting a few things right in our lives, we have a tendency to go, yes, I've got it right, you should have it right. And so we kind of forget that we're all saved by grace. We're held by God's grace. Um, it's all God and not a whole lot of us. We kind of forget that. And so we're going to talk about this topic today. I really think it's important we nail that down. Also, it's true in marriages. Here's a great secret for marriage in our lives today. Young people, if you're in that journey there and you've been married 5 or 10 or 20 and you're in the journey and you've been married 50, you can definitely confirm it. If you've been married 35, you can confirm it. But the bottom line is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 is huge, is huge in having a successful marriage. And here's what he says. He says in Matthew 7, 1, 5, Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. Judged. Now, again, when we're talking about marriage and perhaps difficulties in marriage, you need to hear that today. Because there's folks here who, who look in their past and they look in the rearview mirror and they see a marriage that didn't work. And they're, you know, they, I tell you, we do a great job of making people feel like second class citizens about their, their failures or their sins. It's just what we do and we do it very well. And that is like so way wrong. We should not, we should not, no matter what the topic is, we should not. I honestly believe that the house of God should be a safe house. 
I believe the house of God should be a safe house. I long for the day that when any person who walks through that door can walk in with the full assurance of knowing they will not be judged for their sin or for their failures. I long for the time when men and women can walk into the, the house of God and know that they will not be attacked for anything going on. So I long for that. And that should be a goal of ours. It's a high standard. But hey, we've got a great Savior. And it should be a place where we can come and receive love and acceptance and healing just like Jesus gave to other people. I mean, come on. Think about it. You know, my, one of my favorite stories, and yours too, yours too, you know, is when the Pharisees dragged that lady. And, and by the way, chances are she's just about half naked, if not all the way. They dragged her out of bed, apparently, while she was having an affair with a guy. And they dragged this woman down um, and throw her into the circle of people there, throw, them down, throw her down in there. And Jesus says, so what do you think? They said to Jesus, so what do you think? Should we stone her? And that kind of like, you know, hey, there's a sinner. Should we stone him? Well, you know, Jesus bent down and kind of drew in the dirt and and for long, he said, well, okay. Okay, all right. You without sin, you who have never failed, you who don't have a problem in life, you without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible simply says that, that as that happened, you know, all of a sudden you hear these rocks dropping from the people's hands. And one by one, beginning with the oldest, by the way, beginning with the oldest, people left the circle. And so finally, Jesus said, hey, where are your accusers? And, and the woman said, well, there isn't any, Lord. And at this point, it's her and him. And he said, the one who could accuse her, because he was without sin, said, okay, neither do I condemn thee. Now go and sin no more. How incredible is that? The one who could cast judgment didn't cast judgment. And you got to love this story, too. One day, Jesus was sitting by the well, and this woman shows up, and uh, Jesus said, Hey, how about giving me a drink of water? And she was amazed because, one, he was a boy and she was a girl, and boys didn't talk to girls that they didn't know. And, two, she was a Samaritan. And, and Jews and Samaritans were supposedly hateful of each other. So they began this conversation about water and all that, and, and in the process of the story, you know, Jesus says, you know, why don't you go call your husband? And she said, I don't have a husband. She said, well, you're actually right. You've had five, and the person you're living with now is not your husband. Woo! There's a rock showing opportunity. But it didn't happen. Jesus continued the conversation, sharing love and grace and mercy in that conversation till finally the disciples show up. She drops her water pot and takes off and goes back to the village and says, you have got to come. I found a man who can tell me all about myself. Is this not the Messiah? And that day she became a follower of Christ, as did most of the village people there that lived in that village with her. How incredible is that. Judge not, and you won't be judged. I guess I'm trying to say, regardless of what it is, who are we who are sinners and forgiven to judge anybody? It's just the way it is. And I'm telling you, when we get this down, that is so otherworldly, that's like so like God, that people go, hey, I want some of that. I want some of that. Now, if there is a misquoted verse in the Bible, it's this one. Judge not that you be not judged. Because 
Because what people say is, well, then, okay, well, you know, I, I better not, like, I better not like, judge anybody. Well, that's not what he's talking about. you got to remember, he's talking and preaching about people who, who judge harshly and judge unjustly. I've had at least two people in the last two or three uh, weeks ask me this question. Dwayne, what does that mean about judging? Does that mean we shouldn't judge anyone? No, no, no. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. When your heart and your attitude is love and not condemning or critical, it's not judgment. When you see someone going down a path they shouldn't go down and your heart is filled with love and your heart is filled with compassion for that person, that's not judgment. Judgment happens when you are critical and you judge that person and say, I'm better than you. I'm condemning you for your action. That's judging. But my goodness sake, would you please know this? That when you look at my life and you see me going down a path that's leading down the wrong path, would someone please stop me? Man, men, my friends, my brothers, would you please have the courage to walk up to me and say, dude, you are doing something. You are going down the wrong path. That's not judgment. That's love. And we need love one another. Amen? We need to love one another. So, so it's very clear. Just evaluate your heart. If you see a situation and you feel like you need to speak into that situation, if it's condemning or critical, shh, don't say anything because you're judging. But if your heart is filled with compassion and love for that person, feel free. Andy Stanley, Andy Stanley preached on this one time. He said, now sometimes it still doesn't go well. <laughs> sometimes you speak into a person's life, you know, and, and all of a sudden they don't, they don't receive it very well. Even though you're loving and considerate and kind and compassionate, they don't receive it very well. And, well... That's the risk you take. But sometimes we need to speak into people's lives. And Jesus goes on and says, he goes, you know, he goes, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I don't know how it all works. I haven't figured all this stuff out yet. But somehow when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ as believers, and the way that we judge people is the way God's going to judge us at the judgment seat of Christ. Not for our salvation, but for our reward and works. It's tied in there somehow. I don't know all, but it's tied in there somehow. And, 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 and the way that we judge others, when it comes our turn, when we mess up, the way people's going to minister judgment to us. You know, I know there's been at least one time in my life when, when there was a situation that popped up in, in, in our family's life. And one of the things people say is, Dwayne, we remember how loving you were to us, and we're going to send loving to you. It's really cool. It's really cool. So, so Jesus says, just need to know, you know, as you're judged, you're going to be judged. And the measure, how much grace and how much mercy you show, is how much mercy and grace is going to be when you need it. And believe me, brother or sister, you will need it. He goes, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but did not notice the log that is in your own eye? You know, it's, it's so easy. You know, I, I, wear, I, I wear one contact in my right eye. And it's for reading. Because I have good vision I have like 20-25 vision, um, I think that's right, way far away, but up front, like when I turned 40, like, that didn't work. All of a sudden, I wonder, gee, wonder why I can't see my watch anymore. And what happened was, is that my close-up vision, like, went crazy. So I wear one contact in my eye. I can see far off, but not close up. And often, it's so easy to see specks in people's eyes. It's, it's easy to see little defects in people's lives. But it's not easy to see up front our own. Jesus said this the other day. She read from somewhere. It's awful easy to look through windows and harder to look in mirrors. 
Yeah, can I say that again? It's real easy to look through windows, real hard to look in mirrors. It's so easy to see what's wrong in your life and ignore the things that are in my life. And, and Jesus goes on and says, now, how can you speak to your brother? Let me take the speck out of your, your eye where the log is in your own eye. And he says that in H word. You, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Oh. Oh. And all, keep in mind, this is spoken to someone with a critical, harsh heart. A heart's filled with love and compassion. Speak. Speak into people's lives. Our response should be Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual shall restore, restore, forgive, heal such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted also. Our, our response when someone is in trouble, when someone sins, when someone fails, should be one of restoration, not rock chucking. I think we'd be a lot better off in the church if we left the rock chucking to Jesus. I just think it would be that way. I've taught that a long time. I still really believe it. I really do. So with those thoughts in mind, let's jump into Matthew chapter 19 and let's take a look at what God says about marriage. Now, this is so important because of the culture we're in right now. Again, if we go back... Oh, 20, 25 years, this was not a big deal as much then. I mean, it was a big deal, but it was a less of a deal. But now today it really is. And again, I speak this, what I'm going to say today, from a heart that you need to hear the truth. Now, I this is one of those things we could talk about today that we could go, whoo, whoo, and root, root, and I could say it the right way and get fired up. And you guys would, oh, preacher, oh, preacher, oh, we love it. Well, that's not my point today. My point really is not to fire us up that way as much as fire up truth in our hearts. So we'll understand what's going on in our culture because God's Word speaks to it very clearly. Now, Matthew 19.3, the Bible says that some Pharisees approached him and their purpose was to test him. So, so understand this. This whole discussion, at least as far as they were concerned, was not about marriage. It was not about marriage. They were trying to find a way that they could trap Jesus. That's the whole point of the discussion. They weren't concerned about divorce. They weren't concerned about marriage. They were concerned about trapping the Lord Jesus. So some Pharisees approached him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Now, here's what you need to know, and this may be surprising to you, that the culture of the Old Testament and the culture of the New Testament had very open-ended and liberal views about divorce. I mean, guys, listen. Ladies, listen. You could divorce, gentlemen, you could divorce your spouse for literally any reason there were. There was. There were two uh, rabbis, there were two schools, if you will, of thought taught by two rabbis, very influential rabbis. And one's name, I have to look at the sheet, one of them was Hillel, and I'm guessing H-I-L-L-E-L, Hillel, okay, the rabbi Hillel. And his school of thought was this. Whatever you want, whatever reason you want to divorce your wife, you can. And I'm not being funny. These are examples they used. If, under his school of thought, what he taught and was practiced in Jewish culture, 
If you're, as a husband, were going down the road and you saw a more attractive wife, you could go home and say to your wife, you're divorced. Now, this is not funny. This is the example they gave. You're divorced. The woman would have to pack her stuff up and leave. And he would then marry the new woman. That's how open-minded, how, how open-ended this man's teaching was. Um, if you, if you uh, didn't, I'm telling you the examples. If your wife could not cook, and she cooked a meal that made you so displeased that you'd had enough, she, he could look you in the eye and say, you're done. I divorce you. The woman packed her stuff up. Now, this is coming from the Old Testament people of God, even into the New Testament. Isn't that crazy? Would you expect that liberal of a view? No, and yet it was practiced. And yet it was practiced. And so if that happened, you'd pack your stuff up and you'd have to leave. Now, there's another one named, named Rabbi Shemali, Shemali, and he was much more conservative. And he held to the fact that, kind of like Jesus taught, was the idea was that it had to be a sexual offense for divorce. So in his school of thought, his teaching, that you had to prove that your wife uh, was unfaithful and then you could divorce her. So you see the contrast of divorce and, and even the New Testament times. Now, here's something I didn't know. I learned this morning even as I was studying I was reading the I'm sorry, last night, as I was studying the commentary. You know what's at play here? What's at play here is the dowry. I didn't know this. You know, when, when you got married, let's say when Judy married me, okay, then her dad would give her a dowry that she would present to me. And that dowry was indicative of that person's wealth. So maybe a few cattle, or maybe some camels, you know, maybe some silver or gold, and that money was passed into the household. But the woman held control of the dowry; it remained hers, even though it was in the household. It remained hers, and so when the husband decided to divorce his wife, all right, with the exception of sexual morality. So let's say she couldn't cook. The dowry went with her. If, if she wasn't attractive enough anymore and the man found a more attractive woman, the dowry went with her. So these scoundrels were so rotten, what they would do is they would accuse the wife, okay, they would accuse the wife of sexual immorality. And in that case, they kept the money and still lose the wife. That's how crazy it was. Now let me ask you a question. Isn't that kind of how culture is today? Isn't that kind of how culture is today? We have so we have so downplayed marriage and divorce that we allow, of course, obviously in our society, divorce is just about for any reason, including no reason. We simply have gone back and digressed, digressed back to the way it was in the biblical times with God's people, which is kind of ironic. So, so that's kind of the setup. When they said, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? Now, let's see what Jesus says. That's always a good idea. Verse 4. Haven't you read? Now, translated into English better, that says, you, know, you really should know the answer to this. In fact, you could even say that Jesus might be saying, you really don't want to ask this question. 
That's kind of what Jesus is up for. You know, haven't you read? Don't you know? You really should know this. And here's what he says. That he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. He's quoting Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.24. And he said also, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's all one long sentence. You really should know that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. All one sentence. And in that, we get two major teachings about the word of God you have got to understand. First one is this. Marriage belongs to God. Marriage belongs to God. It's been over a year now that the Supreme Court for America redefined what they called marriage. For a millennia time, as you know, marriage was between a man and a woman. And the culture that we now find ourselves in in America, the Supreme Court came along and said that no, there is such a thing called same-sex marriage and that a man can be married to a man and a woman can be married to a woman. Now, I need to tell you this. If marriage belongs to God, only God can define marriage. If marriage belongs to God, only God can define marriage. Um, you, might, you might illustrate it this way. Let's say I live in an apartment, and my apartment house does not allow dogs, but it does allow cats. And so I get a cat, and I'm enamored with cat, but I really want a dog. So I decide that I will call my dog, or excuse me, my cat, Rover. And I treat him like a dog. So you come to my house, you come to my apartment, and you walk in, you go, oh, I see you have a cat. I say, no, I have a dog. And you look at me funny. And you say, no, Dwayne, you understand. I'm looking, and believe me, I know a cat when I see one, and that's a cat. I said, no, no, no. My cat, a dog can't live here, so you understand, I made that a dog. It's a cat. I know it's a cat, but I made it into a dog. Doesn't work, does it? No matter what the world, how the world defines marriage, because God owns marriage, it must have the biblical definition. They can call it what they want to. They can call it a same-sex union. They can even call it marriage. But they can never call it biblical marriage. They can never call it biblical marriage. Because God says that marriage consists of he created them in the beginning and created them male and female. And biblical marriage has been and always will be between one man and one woman. And there's so much more at play here. You know, God created the man and the woman... God created them in His own image. They are made in the likeness of God. And even marriage is a beautiful example of the relationship. You know, we talk about the end times in the New Testament, about, about Jesus is the groom and we're the bride. There are biblical overtones much bigger than a man and a woman becoming together and having children together. That's because God, to God, marriage is so much more than a contract or even two people coming together. It's two lives joined together. And he 
is the one who puts them together. So he created them male and female. And here's what he said in verse 5. Jesus said, he also said this. For this reason, for this purpose, a man will leave his father and mother. The word leave there is a very strong word. And it means deliberate abandonment. Deliberate abandonment with no going back. Deliberate abandonment with no going back. So, so when Jesus defines marriage, when, when God creates marriage, he says a, a, a man shall abandon his parents with no intent of going back and be joined to his wife. It's so cool. In the Greek and in the Hebrew, the idea of being joined together is that wonderful idea of something, listen, 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 that God does and we don't do. It's, it's done to us and we don't do it. It's done to us. We don't. You, you two one day came together and agreed to a marriage agreement. But you didn't put you together. God put you together. So in biblical marriage, it is God who does the uniting. It's a beautifully spiritual picture, again, of salvation. When we, when we trust Christ and we become one with Christ, it's a biblical picture of God putting two together. The man leaves uh, with, with deliberate abandonment, his mom and his dad, and he's joined, put together by God into this relationship. And the two become one flesh. The two become not two pieces put together, but they become one flesh. I want to keep this totally PG this morning, but they come together physically. They come together emotionally. And they come together spiritually. Are you getting a picture of biblical marriage? It's not a partnership where you just share the same bank account, you sleep in the same bedroom, you have the same names on the same title, and the same deed for your house. It's so much more than that. Why? Because we're not like dogs and cats. We are biblical creations. We are created in the image of God, and when we are married, we are put together by God, put together by God, and held together. By God. We are emotionally together. We're spiritually together. And we're physically together. And Jesus says, don't you recognize? See, we don't hear this enough, folks. I'm telling you, we are in an era today when people get a marriage license, they come down and say, hey, preacher, will you do this ceremony for me? And to them, it's simply a legal deal. Marriage is so much more than a legal deal. It's tying two lives together in a way that's so hard for us to grasp and imagine. It's that intimate and that real. So he goes on and says, verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Two, but one flesh. Yes, distinct personalities. You don't lose that. You don't lose that. But no longer two. But one flesh. And again, it's not something you do. It's something God does to you. The marriage covenant is something sealed by God. Because God owns it. And it belongs to Him. To Him. 
And then finally we get to where, you, where we're going, and he says, well, therefore, what God has joined together, what God has joined together, what God puts together, man must not separate. There's the deal. Marriage is between a man and a woman. They are put together by God. It's God's deal, all right? And it's permanent. It's permanent. One man, one woman, listen, for a lifetime. You need to hear this. One man, one woman for a lifetime. I am old enough to remember a time, and a lot of you guys are too. You remember a time when, yes, there was separation and divorce, but it was nothing like it is today. I'm telling you, there are people who come to my office and Brent's office and Dave's office, and they may or may not say it out loud, but their idea, their thought is, and I, I know one couple least said it, if it doesn't work, we know we can go to divorce. That is not the attitude to enter into marriage. Marriage is for a lifetime. And I'll tell you how important this is. It's important because when we enter into marriage, when we're saying, well, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't work, we'll get a divorce then we're undermining marriage, the definition of marriage, just like the same sex does. The total definition of marriage is one man, one woman for a lifetime. So whether you knock this leg out or knock this leg out, we're still undermining marriage. Now here's something you need to know. There is a devil. And he is at war. And he knows that if he can undermine this basic building block of God, two creations of His put together in the image of Almighty God, when He can undermine that, it's a strategic move against God Himself. This is so huge. You want to know, listen, you want to know about how important this is to America? Man, God has built our country. God has built our country. Because we have chosen to follow his word in this important matter. And now we've totally changed the game. We've walked away God, away from God with, with, well, you know the old stuff, prayer in school, sanctity of life and all that. And now the basic building block of society we have undermined. And can I tell you something? That's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing. Well, for time's sake, look at verse 7. The Pharisees said, well, well, wait a minute. They, they asked him, did, why then did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? So, so why did Moses command us to give divorce papers? Back in Deuteronomy, you know, why did that happen? And Jesus said, well, he, he permitted, Moses permitted, no, it's not command. He permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. And the answer to that is this. Once again, if you didn't like the way your wife looked, you didn't like the way she cooked, then all of a sudden she was just sent out on her own. She lost all protection. She might have lost her dowry. And, and then, then, once again, divorce and remarriage was very common then. She had no proof that she could even be remarried. She could end up on the street and they say, I can't marry you, you're already married. No, no, I'm divorced. Can you prove it? It was crazy, guys. And Jesus said, out of the hardness of your heart, he allowed this. But 
It was not like that from where? From the beginning. Jesus resorts back to the higher. Not to the law, not, not discounting what Moses said, but he rose back to the beginning. It wasn't like that from the beginning. God's intent, God's intent, God's intent, God's intent was one man, one woman for a lifetime. That's what he intended. That's what he, he planned for. That's what he created. You know, Malachi chapter 2 has some scriptures about this. And it says, uh, verse 14, and you say, well, for what reason? And I'm, I know I'm interrupting a thought. For what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, talking to the guy whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously. Let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. He hates it because he knows the pain. He knows the heartache. He knows the hurt. I was there in that room this week. And we were writing letters to the little kids overseas. So I said, okay, put your address right there. And the little boy said, what address? I said, well, where do you live? He said, I live in two places. I said, you do? He said, yeah. I said, well, all right, well, put the one you live the most at. He goes, well, it's one week and one week and one week and one week. I said, okay, okay, well, just, just, put, just put one of them down. Little girl. You put your address here. What, what address? I said, well, where you live? He goes, well, I live with my mom and I live with my dad. I go, okay. All right, well, pick, pick the one that, whichever one you want. See, we don't understand that you know, God doesn't hate you. But God hates divorce. And we need to understand the horrible impact that divorce has. This was written by an 18-year-old girl. True story. Divorce is like a trembling earthquake. The world shakes, rumbling with rage, and all the anger and guilt and frustrations that have been festering for so long below the surface suddenly spew upward in an inferno of hate or apathy. At times the earth calms and you think the turmoil is over, settled, stable, but then the cycle begins again, repeating, repeating, repeating. You're weary. You want to rest. And that is when you realize this shaking has stopped. But there's an eerie feeling lurking in the air. You are hesitant to believe anything anymore. You are so tired after struggling for so long. And so you rest on the one solid patch of land, only to watch it split into two. Two separate, distinct parts that will never come together again. Each new patch supports part of you. And as you watch, they pull away. What's your point? Look at me. Please look me dead in the eye. Don't you dare leave here going, that preacher beat me up. I'm only doing one thing. If there's a divorce in your past, it's in the past. 
leave it there. But if you're in a marriage right now, I don't care if it's number one, two, three, or four. If you're in a marriage right now, leave this place today saying, I am committed to this marriage for a lifetime. You will find no one chucking rocks. This preacher will not throw any guilt your way. And I promise you, God won't either. But it's time today to take a stand for the marriage that you're in and saying, one man, one woman for a lifetime. For a lifetime. I read another story from, I, I take a devotion called Family Life, and he was at a, a Family Life conference and there for college students. He said, how many of you have been impacted by divorce, either your family or extended family? And 80% raised their hands. And a young man came up afterwards, 17, 18 years old, and he goes, my dad was a leading evangelical pastor and divorced my mom. And now he's gone. And he was my hero. And I'm the only one walking with God. Can it happen to preachers? That's why we can't cast rocks. Can it happen to long-time Christians? That's why we don't cast rocks. No. But would you be willing today to commit to the marriage you're in for the rest of your life? The rest of your life. Jesus said in verse number 11, we're going to skip down because it's time to quit. He told them, not everyone can accept these sayings, but only those it has been given to. Is it hard? Yeah, it is. It's hard to stand up here talking today. It's hard. But you know what God says? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, Dwayne, what's your bottom line? If you're married today, I would like for you to leave today with a commitment in your heart that I'm committed to this marriage for the rest of my life. If there is a divorce in your past, leave it in the past. You'll find no rock chuckers here. You'll find no guilt trips here. Leave it there. You can't go back and undo that. Now, make sure it's been placed under God's grace. For your, whatever part you played in that, if you had a part, and you probably had a small slice or a big slice, then make sure it's under God's grace. Leave it there. And if you're single today, if you are single today, when it comes time, and he's good looking or she's good looking, and you're making that commitment, find a preacher somewhere who will explain biblical marriage to you and make sure you're ready to make that commitment for a lifetime. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I know I know this is hard, Father. That's why the disciples said it might be best for us to remain single. That's how hard it was. So, Father, I pray today that in this culture, that we your people, we your people, will make the commitment for marriage. Father, I pray for every person that's in a marriage relationship right now. And I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that they will commit for a lifetime. Father, for every person who's felt the pain of divorce 
and it is pain. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your healing and your love in their hearts. Father, never, never, never let us be guilty of casting stones or rocks. Father, may this be a safe place. Even when truth must be spoken, may it be a safe place. So I want to pray in Jesus' name for healing, for love, for compassion in those hurting hearts today. Father, for every single person today, as they contemplate who they're going to spend the rest of their life with, Father, as if they are believers in Christ, Father, may they carefully weigh this decision to join their lives together. And Father, give them the wisdom and the guidance and direction that they need as they step forward. Thanks, God, for loving us so much. Thank you, Jesus, for your amazing grace. And I pray in your precious name. Amen.